Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, I'm going to get into this message. Um, it's interesting. Earlier this week, I was reading a book called Fathered by God by John Eldridge. Great read. And, uh, and he was talking about when things happen in our lives uh, that are extraordinary, trials that are extraordinary. And he said, and he said something that really kind of stuck with me that, that Tuesday as I was reading his book. And he said, you know, when we f- see things happening abnormally in our lives, we should, instantaneous attach, we should instantaneously attach it to spiritual warfare. And, uh, and I called Pastor Matt on Wednesday and I was like, God gave me a message for your church. And uh, like, like truly, like it just hit me out of nowhere. Like I was at Starbucks with a grande coffee on my left laptop, just seeking the Lord. And it just hit me out of nowhere. I was like, oh, wow, this is it. And, uh, and, and as that, <laughs> and I didn't realize what the cost of that would be. Um, I ended up getting extremely sick literally yesterday, seemingly out of nowhere, y'all. I, I caught like that food poisoning bug. So I, I'm running on about an hour of sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I still came for you. Okay, so um, <laughs> yeah, let's, 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 let's just thank the Lord. No, but I, I really do believe truly that, that this is a word in season. Um, um, Solomon says that a word in season is like golden apples on a silver tray. In other words, there's some words that are for your now and for your future. And I believe that this is a specific word for Fountain Church. I haven't preached this message anywhere else. Um, this is something that God gave me for you. And so I'm excited to see what the Lord does. And uh, it's going to be really, really good. So it's my custom. If you don't mind, can we stand on our feet for the reading of God's word? And we're going to get into it. Reverse the ruins. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it reads. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, I want to bring your attention to the circumstances that God chose to create in. He chose to create in a space that was without form. It was void and it was dark. But the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then in this series, you guys are going to be in the book of Nehemiah. So I'm going to be kind of opening it up. We're going to fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read, and uh, I don't want anybody judging my, pronoun- my uh, pronunciation of some of these words. Um, yeah, God's good. Okay. <laughs> these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King, uh, of King Artaxerxes' reign, it was the fortress of Susa. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things aren't going too well for those who have returned from the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, now granted, watch Nehemiah's reaction to chaos. Watch his reaction. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. When I heard this, I hopped on Twitter. 
When I heard this, I called my friend. When I heard chaotic information, the first thing I did is I hopped on Facebook and I shared it. No, the first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears about chaos that is happening, he sits down, he goes before God, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. And, uh, and we're just going to stop right there. I think we got plenty to keep us busy. Again, you guys are going to be going through the book of Nehemiah for quite a little bit, and it's my honor to kick it off. Uh, I want to speak to y'all from the topic this morning, created to create. Created to create. Would you guys all pray with me? Holy Spirit, have your way. God, I ask humbly that uh, in my weaknesses you would be made strong. That, Father, let the arti- that, that, Lord, the articulation of your word would be clear and it would be bold and it would be exactly what you want it to be, Dad. Father, this message is for the audience of one, even though many will hear it. So I pray above anyone else, this message will bring glory to you. I am nothing more than the conduit that is connected to the source. I am nothing more, God, than the echo to the voice of truth. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, even now, that you would just begin to fill this atmosphere with your glory and you would open up every heart to receive what you want to say to us as a community, God. Father, we don't want information that doesn't lead to transformation. We don't We don't want knowledge that doesn't lead to wisdom being lived out in our everyday lives. So, God, I thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades. But you said that your word will never pass away. So let it pass forth through the manifestation of Holy Spirit with power, authority, and boldness. Let it break yokes and loose binds that are upon our lives for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory, and for the sake of thy kingdom come and thy will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And, Lord, we would be remiss, God, if we did not say, bless the Oakland Raiders and all God. People said amen and amen. Y'all can, y'all can take a seat. Y'all were feeling that I was right there with you. What? The Bible says pray about all things. I'm not afraid. Do we have any people who are artistic, like you can draw really well or paint really well? Anybody in here? Cool. There's like four of you guys. Oh, that's what's up, man. Good for you. I appreciate you admitting it, too. Oh, you got a great beard. Come on. Okay. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm not, I, I, I respect people who are very artistic. The reason why I respect people who are, who are artistic is because stick figures are an issue for me. Like, like stick figures for me just aren't really my thing, right? And, and and when I was younger, if I could be transparent, I used to make fun of people who were artistic because I wasn't very good at it. I was just I was just a little bit insecure. And sometimes what we don't understand and what we're not good at, we tend to clown or joke about. And, and so if you were an artist, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go play football, go draw a stick. You know, that was just kind of my mentality. But I remember in eighth grade, I had this teacher who didn't make it better. She actually made it a little bit more worse, and frankly, a little bit more weird. Her name was Miss Lopez. No, I'm just gonna again, we're family, right? Sir number two in here. She made it a little bit more weird. And I remember that, <laughs> I remember walking into class, and if you can imagine, like, little Negro Chase, 11 years old, not much taller than I am now, walking into class, eighth grade, right, thinking he's the man, thinking he runs the campus in Los Angeles, California, and there's this short, lovely teacher. Her name was Miss Lopez, and, and again, she was a little bit, you know, she was just you know, she was creative, you know, and, and, and I remember her opening line, she sat us all down, she's like, every single one of you, I want you to close your eyes, and I was like, oh, and so I closed my eyes, and I'm kind of looking around, and she's like, I want you to close your eyes, and what I want you to do is I want you to grab your pencils, and I want you to begin to just draw your soul on the paper, 
And I, first of all, I don't even know what a soul is. You know, I'm just like, my soul. She's like, put your soul on the paper. And so I just started drawing stick figures. I just, <laughs> right? I didn't necessarily know what she was talking about. And now, again, I, was, I got suspended multiple times from school. God could use anyone, mainly because of my humor. I just took things a little bit too far. And, uh, and so I start laughing. And, of course, I, I get some of my friends to start laughing with me. Now, as I began to laugh, Miss Lopez went from zero to 100 real quick. I mean, she went from, like, your soul's on the paper to very, very mad and very, very upset. And what she shouted to the entire class, mainly aiming it towards my friends and I, was this phrase that was very, very basic, but it will stick with me for the rest of my life. She said these words. She's like, you cannot create in an atmosphere of chaos. And I was like, woo. You cannot create in an atmosphere of, of chaos. And I remember thinking about that, and I was like, man, that, that's interesting. And, and whatever your trade might be, whether you're in business, whether you're in ministry, whether you're in construction, whether you're in engineering, whether you're a part of a tech company, I think all of us kind of have a system to how we create. You know what I mean? Like, like for me, I feel like I hear God the most around 5.30 in the morning. I, 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 oh, man, okay. This is, so I wake up around 5.30 every morning, and the first thing I do is I take my golden doodle out to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. His name's Bubba, cutest little dog. I wish I had a picture of him. I take him out to the bathroom, and then, and then, and then we, we come back in and I feed him and then after that what I do is I, I go over and I, I start making a pour over cup of coffee and I grab my cup of coffee and I, I put it on our, our, our this little stand that I don't even know what it's called it's like kind of like this little table next to our couch and, and, and I put it down right there and then what I do is I open up God's holy word and I put on a worship instrumental right after that on the TV preferably the breaking and, and, and it begins to play and then I light candles <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> since I got married I'm into candles they smell really good I light candles I light candles, and then after the atmosphere is what I needed to be, I kind of close my eyes, and I begin to meditate on the Lord for a little bit. You know what I'm feeling? Really spiritual. I kind of start to move in his presence. And I feel like, for me, that is an ideal way for me to create. I feel like, for me, that's an ideal way for me to hear from God. I feel like that's ideal way for me to create content. But what I want to submit to, to every single one of you is that God creates much differently than we do, but we're called not to create exactly the way he does, but similar to the way that he does. What, what I want to bring to your attention in Genesis chapter 1 is something very, very interesting. We see the one who began the beginning, beginning the beginning. We see the CEO of creation on full display, the God who has always been and will forever be, getting ready to pioneer the heavens and the earth. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, getting ready to speak everything into existence. And what Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to write in this vision is this. He says, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. But what I want to focus on is the atmosphere, the setting, and the chaos that was taking place that he chose to create in. If, if, if I were God, thank God I'm not because I would have been took out the planet. Not enough patience. <laughs> now, if, if, if I were God, I do not know if I would want to create in a place that was dark, yeah. empty, and formless. 
that doesn't seem like an ideal place to create. A place that is dark, a place that is formless, and a place that is empty. That is the setting that God chooses to say, that's exactly where we're going to create. In a place that is dark, empty, and formless. And what I'm realizing in my relationship with God is this, is that oftentimes God will take me into spaces that seem dark, empty, and formless and ask me, do you believe that I have the ability to create in that? A place that is dark, formless, and empty. Sometimes I look at God and I look at circumstances in my life and I got a spirit like Miss Lopez. I'm like, God, there's too much chaos for something to be created there. There's too much chaos in my marriage for you to create in that. There's too much chaos in my addiction for you to create in that. There's too much chaos family. You know what my dad did to me. You know how my mother abandoned me. You know what that sibling did. God, there's just too much chaos for you to create. But even in the very beginning, God in his sovereignty and in his divine provision for our lives is letting us know that at any given moment, the word of God can come forth and begin to create things through the power of his word that are not currently there. Now, the word for create, the word for create in this text is the word bara. I love that. What's good, bara? I, lo- I love that. The Hebrew, bara. And what that word bara means is it means this, to create, but only with God as the subject. What that means is that we don't have the ability to create this way, only God does. In other words, God can create in a way that we can't. That's a very, very big deal for our time together. God can create in a way that we can't. So let me put it to you like this. God says fire. And everything that fire is shows up. Now, if I want to start a fire in here, I'm going to get some wood. I'm going to get some gasoline to make it interesting. And I'm going to get a match, and I'm going to throw that thing on, and we have ourselves fire. That's how we create. But God just speaks the word, and everything that is not comes forth. So when he says light, everything that light is culminates together and connects together and comes into the universe. It all came forth by his word. Barah. Now, what I want to bring to your attention is Psalms 51. I love David. David is an all-star in kids' church. I love David. David kills Goliath. David does these amazing works. I love David. But Psalms 51, more than any other, Psalms 51 is mentioned in the New Testament by the apostles more than any other psalm. More than Psalms chapter 1, when David opens it up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he will meditate day and night, and he will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, and his leaves will not wither, and whatever he does, he will prosper. I mean, and and even like, come on, y'all. 
I mean, even Psalms 23. I mean, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff, it comforts me. He prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's anointed my head with oil and my cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But what's interesting is that not even Psalms 139 made it in when David was at the end of his life. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me in all of my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me the way everlasting. It's interesting that the apostles in the New Testament did not speak as much about those Psalms as much as they did Psalms 51, which was David's greatest failure. Because David, man, he had an off moment. Should have been at war. Wrong place, wrong time. Should have been fighting, was resting. And all of a sudden, he's on, he's on a roof. And he sees a girl taking a bath. Her name happened to be Bathsheba. Imagine that. And his appetite becomes unhealthy. It was, I like it. I want it. I got to have it. I'm taking it. Exactly what sin does. What he does is he commits adultery, but then David takes it a step further. Now, I really want us to imagine this. Like, David takes his boy's girl. Like, takes his boy's girl, gets her pregnant. Some of y'all stop watching reality TV and just read the Bible. <laughs> he takes his boy's girl, gets her pregnant, and then has his boy killed. And then a, about a year later, he gets caught by the prophet Nathan, and his sins get found out, and he sits down and he starts to write a song. And in this song, he writes about his iniquities and his sins, but he specifically uses the same word that is used in the very beginning. He says, create or bra in me. You see, when Pastor Jackie got up here and she started prophesying to y'all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I was trying not to yell outside of my mouth because I was like, she's already preaching my sermon, Lord. <laughs> she was already saying it. So many times we focus on what is outside of us. David said, no, no, no. Every outward thing that goes against your word is connected to an inward deficiency that is inside of me. And what he has is this situation where he failed miserably, where on record the thing that he would be remembered for more than anything in the New Testament would be his failure. And he says, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit in me. And then he gets even more detail. Come on, y'all, hermeneutics. And he says, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, we're going to Bible college. I hope that's okay, Pastor Matt. So Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's present? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the midst of the waters. Fast forward, Psalms 51, David, David, big failure, what's happening with him? He says, create in me, uh, I'm formless, 
I'm dark, I'm empty. It's interesting that science tells us that our bodies are made up of 75% water, just a random statistic. And then he even alludes to the Holy Spirit and don't take specifically the third person of the Trinity from me. So David shows you and I that God is in the business of sending forth his word to the innermost parts of your soul and creating something inside of you that only he can create as the subject that is not currently in you. So what that means is that the heart of God is for his word to come forth and mold and shape and transform you. So my question to you, echoing Pastor Jackie this morning, is what areas of you seem dark? What areas of you seem empty? What areas of you seem formless? Could it be this morning, Fountain Church, that God wants to send forth his word to you and through the power of Holy Spirit give you rhema that will begin to transform, change, and mold and shape you into something that you aren't currently right now. Bra in me. That's the first half of the message. Some of us, we want God to bra in us, but we stop there. And this is really my message. This is why I came. Because God doesn't only want to barah in you, he wants to barah through you. Now, I'm not saying that you can be God. You serve him long enough, you'll realize that you can't. So please hear me loud and clear this morning. I am not saying that we should just go around saying things for the sake of saying things and saying gibberish for the sake of gibberish. That's what makes the church a little bit... Funky. But at the same time, we can't negate that, you know, the Bible is pretty funky. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus was born of a virgin. Like if one of you walked up to me and said it was the Holy Spirit who got me pregnant. You know. Pastor Chris. Let's go. Come on, man. Yeah, you know I'm a brother. We sweat when we preach. We don't play. No, like for real. I mean, like Jesus liked to heal somebody's eyes. He took mud, he spit in it, and he applied it to the guy's eyes. Does anybody else read that? And you're like, whoa. So there is definitely a radical spirit that is upon the church. Like, like. I don't want to get away from that, but at the end of the day, we want to do our best to be in tune with the spirit of God, not with the spirit of self. It's important. And so when I'm saying we want God to barah in us, but we also want to get God to barah through us, I'm specifically referencing us being the echo to the voice of God. You know, like, oh, can I just talk to you guys? This is a tangent. Is that okay? If it wasn't, that'd be awkward. If you're like, no, you can't. i do it anyway. No, like. Elisha is one of the most underrated dudes in the Bible. Like, like not, not Elijah, Elisha. There's two of them, right? Like, Elijah is like the superstar. He's like the Michael Jordan. Elisha's more of like the LeBron. You know what I mean? Like, he did, like there was already a level of greatness that can't be surpassed. You know, like, so anybody else just can't be Jordan. You know, like, like I don't think anybody's going to be better than Jordan because it's Jordan, you know? So even if someone came along, some of you hate basketball. Okay, so... 
So, so like Elijah just kind of set, set it high, and then he threw his mantle upon Elisha. And Elisha actually ends up doing like double the miracles of Elijah. But Elisha's like, you know, pretty underrated. He, he really is. And, and, and I love Elisha. But I also love his, 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 his forefather, Elijah. Because Elijah comes out of nowhere. Like, you're, if, when you're studying, like, First and Second Kings, like, you just open up the book, and suddenly this prophet who isn't talked about in any other book appears, and he walks up to a very, very, very evil king and queen, and he walks up to Jezebel, and this dude is so in tune with the spirit and voice of God that he walks up and says, yeah, it ain't going to rain till I say so. What would it look like for us to walk so closely with the Spirit of God that what we say is already co-signed by heaven because it's in the heart of God? Like, like I'm really believing for those days of revival upon the church. And, and Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah does something before that, though, that we cannot miss. Because y'all going to be studying him a lot. And I'm like, man, Pastor Matt is so theological. I'm only going to take like four verses because he's going to make me look bad when he preaches. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm only, I'm only going to take a few. And, and to give you guys a little bit of context of what's happening in the book of Nehemiah, um, about 50 to 100 years before this moment, somewhere in that window, um, the Jews got caught up in disobedience, strong disobedience, worshiping false gods, getting way too caught up in the culture, forgetting that they're called to influence the culture. The culture isn't called to influence them, and there was more influence on them than they were on the culture, and they wanted to be like them and all that stuff. So God's like, cool, you want to be like them? Cool, do your thing. And he released them to their sins. And so what ends up happening in Ezra and specifically Nehemiah is the Babylons, they go and they destroy the capital city of Jerusalem completely. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us, but Jerusalem is like the holy city, guys. Like that is the spot where some like really cool things are happening and even prophetically are still going to happen in that city. Like it's a really, really big deal. And it got taken over and the temple was destroyed completely destroyed. The temple of God was destroyed. And so what happens is God raises up a few dudes to do a specific work. He starts with Zerubbabel and what Zerubbabel does, his primary purpose is to, is to take uh, they're known as the remnant. He take a bunch of Jews basically back into this place, into Jerusalem actually get them back where they're supposed to be. And what he did is he rebuilt the temple. Now there was another guy, his name was Ezra. What Ezra did is he came in and he began to rebuild the community by giving them the law. So he basically brought the Torah back and was reminding the Jews of their purpose, their calling, the commandments of God, and all that good stuff. And then we get to Nehemiah. We get, we get to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we see his purpose on full display, because his calling was to rebuild the walls. He was going to build the walls, but, but before that, I just want to draw your attention to, to chapter 1. It's, it's, it's late autumn. It's probably where we are, about November. And he hears news that his city isn't doing very well. Now, what I want us to understand is that, that this young man was born into slavery. He's heard about freedom, but he's never experienced it. You know, like he was born into the Persian Empire ruling over them. And so it, this idea of, of him 
actually seeing the freedom hadn't happened yet. He heard about his forefathers, but he wasn't there for it. You know, he didn't get to see the Red Sea's part. He didn't get to see him go into the promised land. He didn't see the manna fall from heaven. He didn't see the fire by night lead the Israelites and the cloud by day. You know, he didn't see water flow out of a rock. You know, he didn't see Joshua fight the battle of Jericho. He didn't see him take all that territory. Like, he didn't see it. He was born into captivity. And when you're born into captivity and captivity is all you know, Oftentimes, freedom is more awkward than captivity. The reason why that is, I had a revelation not too long ago. Actually, I was probably about 18 or 19 when I was watching the show Hoarders. Anybody see Hoarders? MTV Hoarders? Yeah, no? You don't watch MTV? Okay. (laughs) Sorry. But I remember when I was younger, I was watching MTV Hoarders, and there was this girl on that show. She looked like she was like 40 or 50, so she was a woman. And she had like 100 cats. I'm not, I'm not, a hundred cats. First of all, cats. Come on, I was raised on all dogs go to heaven. You know what I mean? Like, cats. Pastor Matt's going to be here next week. Don't get mad at me, Cappy. Okay, so she had like a hundred cats, and it was so crazy to me that she had all these cats. <laughs> and it was so disgusting, the aroma of the house, that the camera crew, they're recording themselves, and they're literally, like, throwing up because there's feces and fur balls, like, all throughout the house. And what tripped me and my brother out is the lady was having the time of her life. She's like, oh, my gosh, welcome. <laughs> Just, like, loving the cats. And I remember even being young, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, you can get so comfortable in your dysfunction that you don't even recognize it as dysfunction. You, be, you can become functional in dysfunction. You can normalize things that were created to be normal. And, and Nehemiah had been a slave, was, had been a slave his entire life. He was born into slave. He was a cupbearer for the king. This is just what he did. But there was a moment where the heart of Nehemiah was going to begin to be burned for something that he had not seen yet, but he believed he was called to see. Where the heart of him was going to begin to be burned far beyond him being a cupbearer. And I sense prophetically that there are people in here where you have a great occupation, you have a great job, but once that job gets into the hands of the kingdom, suddenly it changes absolutely everything. And so he hears about a place that he has not been. He hears about a city that he has not seen, but he knows his history. He knows deep inside of himself that there's more than what's currently happening. And what he does, and this is my message, what he does is something that is so underrated. He says, you know what? God, our city is in trouble. It is without walls, which means it's vulnerable and the enemy can attack at any time. You know what Nehemiah doesn't do? He doesn't leave. He doesn't instantly leave his post and where he is. I got a lot of young people, they just want to quit their jobs. They make me so mad. Like, they've been saved for five minutes. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to ministry. Well, you don't have a job in ministry. So how's that going to work? God will provide. That's not stewardship. That's not practical. But what Nehemiah does is something that we don't like to do in the church. 
And it is the primary way for things to be created in the spiritual realm before it becomes natural. What Nehemiah does is something that the people of old know how to do very well, but my generation struggles. Well, my grandma Eliza May, well, the first thing she would do when you walked in her house. My grandma Northcutt, the first thing you would, she would do when I walked in her presence. It's for the OGs. The OGs of the church. We think it's their job and, they, and what they're supposed to be doing. But Nehemiah, what he does is he hears about walls that have not been built up yet. A city that is vulnerable about the kingdom of God not expanding the way that it should. And what he does is he gets on his face. And he, unbeknownst to him, begins to create. He begins to create. Created to create. He says, I'm going to, through prayer, create things in my city that aren't currently there. Hoping that maybe God could use me to meet this need. He gets on his face. He begins to mourn. He begins to weep. Then I love he gets detailed. In fact, I began to pray and I began to fast that God would do something. You know, there's this moment in the New Testament in closing. By the way, I have like five closes, so that's number one. This is, this is <laughs> most pastors do. Just want to give you a heads up, don't want to lie to you. There's this, there's this moment in the New Testament where, where Jesus, he, he says what he wants his house to be. Now, when I think about the house of God being something, I go to a lot of different things. I want my house to be a house of power. I want my house to be a house of holiness. A house of inspiration. A house of healing. It's not on record. You don't find that in the Bible. Jesus points to a weapon that you and I use as a last resort most of the time in our spirituality. He says, I want my house. Rewind. Nehemiah is going to help rebuild the house of God. Fast forward to Jesus. I want my house to be a house of prayer. Where people communicate with me and contend with me to see things take place that are not currently taking place. Do you know right now, according to the New Testament, that it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and what he is doing is he is interceding for people who do not know him to come and know him? And Nehemiah says, you know what? God, I really want you to use me, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast. A place that was dark, a place that was void, and a place that was empty. Before Nehemiah even showed up, he began to create things that were not there in the
for us. Let's talk about our city real quick. Let's just have a conversation. Let's talk about Fountain Church in the city of Pleasanton. Let's talk about the Bay Area in general. Let's just have a conversation about how you and I are in a city that is 96% unchurched. We're in a region that is 96% unchurched. Now, to let you guys know, church attendance in the United States, you are a churchgoer if you go once a month. Whoa! That's a, that, that, that's a church attendant. That's a congregant once a month. 96% of our region does not know God or is not attending the house of God. Now, we could go through practical things to do about that. I love that. I love connect cards. I love sermon series. I love midweeks. I love that you guys get together. It's unreal. I love strategy and innovation. I love it all. It's beautiful. The house of God was created to be creative. So I love all of it. But there's something even beneath all of our strategy There's something that's even deeper than the things that we want to see happen. There's a power that has to be on top of what we do that only comes from the old school. I'm going to pray for my city. Now, now I want to say this to you as well. In our own lives, I have recognized this year more than ever before, and I had an honest conversation with heaven earlier this year in the month of January where God told me, like, you know, you know, kid, you kind of use me as a last resort. I was like, no, dad, no, 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 not me. I'm a pastor. No. He's like, no, there's those moments where if something's going on in your life, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll talk to your wife. You'll, you'll contact your accountability partners. You'll go to pastors. You'll go to your boys. And then I'm kind of left in this category like, okay, I've done all that. Now let me like go to God. Nehemiah hears about this city in ruins and we don't even see that he even begins to talk to his brother about it. No, Nehemiah says, oh my goodness. God, let me get on my face. Last closing. There's this woman in our church named Grandma V. Grandma V is 84. (laughs) Amen, let's go. Grandma V is 84. She lived through the civil rights era. She's an African-American woman, absolutely lovely. And she went to the doctor recently. And her prefrontal cortex is basically almost completely inactive in her brain. If you guys don't know what the prefrontal cortex of your brain is, it's basically the part of your brain that gives you the ability to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral. How to, how to make the right decisions, how to stop at a light and all these things. And she, she found that out. And she walked up to me and she was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, baby. She's like, they say a part of my brain is inactive. They don't know my Jesus. I was like. And let me tell you about Grandma V. She's the grandmother of our house. We got 12, 1,300 young adults gra- uh, gathering weekly, and she comes every single week. She goes to like every service on Sunday. She says, Tuesdays are my dessert, baby. It's my dessert. I was like, whoa, I love you. You know where you'll find Grandma V? 
before every service at 5 o'clock, laying hands on the chairs, walking around, praying in tongues, laying hands on the chairs, contending that God would show up, laying hands on the chairs, contending that God will make a move, laying hands on the chairs, believing that God will do something supernatural. And you know what she tells me almost every time she sees me? Almost every time she sees me, she walks up and she says, baby, I prayed for these days. I prayed for these days that young people by the hundreds and the thousands would gather under the name of Jesus. And I thought, I struggled praying for like 20 minutes. She's like, I prayed these days into existence. I feel like I need to remind some men and women of God. Do you remember those things that you prayed for? Those things that didn't come easy, but those things that came through pressing. Those things that came from process, those things that didn't happen overnight, but you contended and still believed that that child that doesn't know the Lord will come back and then you see him get saved in a church service. Like, I'm talking about those things that you contend with God and you wonder, like, God, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Those things that you question the actual faith where you're like, man, I'm being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I cannot see. Like, have you been there where you're like, only God? Like, when you're in the hospital room and someone's body is filled with cancer and you lay hands on in faith and you say, Lord, if you don't show up, they will surely die. But perhaps the Lord right now can bring resurrecting power to these bones just maybe. And if I could be honest with you, y'all, we have a city that is broken, a city that is dark, a city that is void, and a city that is empty. And perhaps God wants us to echo the barah. Perhaps God is saying, start contending, start praying, start speaking revival, start believing that the lost will be found, start believing that Pleasanton and beyond will come to know the name that is above every name. Start contending with heaven that we'll see a movement in our day that man will not get glory for, but only God. And you and I, we, we get to be a part of that. Can I, oh, can I, can, I, can I just go a little bit deeper with you guys? Is that okay? I promise you I'm almost done. I promise you. Recently, God's been taking me on these walks really late at night. I tell my wife, so I'm like, ain't nothing happening, girl. I'm praying. Late at night, I've been going on these walks with God. I haven't even told my church this. I've been going on these walks with God. I'm just like cruising, and I'm walking around my neighborhoods, and I got these neighbors who don't know the Lord. They're like right next to us because we live in a condo. I was like, God, if they have cameras, this might look really weird. But I've been walking up to their house. When I go on these walks, I just put my hand on their door. And I'm like, God, please use my wife and I to lead them to you, Lord. And y'all, 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 cra- crazy story. Crazy story, right? So, so I, again, I, I'm pretty radical. Like, evangelism, I love it. Like, I'll be a Walmart. I'm like, you're coming with me to church, right? Like, I'm pretty radical. Now, now. Now, this is crazy because I've seen, like, three of my barbers get saved. Like, my whole thing, yeah, praise God for the barbers. Like, once one of my barbers gets saved, I get a new one. Like, you know what I'm like? I'm like, oh, you're in the kingdom, you're coming. Okay, no, somebody else needs Someone else needs to cut my hair. It's awesome. But I had this neighbor. I had this neighbor five years ago when I was living off Monterey in, in Cochran. I, I, I had these neighbors that were so worldly, like, worldly. And I invited them to church for three straight years years like three or four days a week 
they be like, Chase, you know that's not our thing. I'm like, man, just come through, man. Just try it. It's so good. Like, like, like just come one time. They're like, nah, okay, okay, we'll come. Boop, never came. Guys, two months ago, I'm not kidding you. I, I'm in the lobby, hundreds. I was just hundreds of young adults, packed people everywhere in our lobby. All of a sudden, this, this married couple walks up to me, my neighbors, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. It was like a moment for me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're here. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> they were dealing with adultery. They told me right off the top. He was like, yeah, she cheated on me. I was like, whoa, come as you are. It's like she cheated on me. That's why we're here. This is our last resort. And on that night, I happened to be preaching a message on forgiveness. Random? You could think so. Totally God. And the altar call came that night. They sat right next to my wife and I on the front row. We give an altar call every single week, a call for salvation. We make them come forward. And in this moment, I remember like, like literally getting ready to give this call to this couple. And I'm thinking in my head, like, God, I'm getting ready to give this call. And we see about 15 to 20 people get saved every single week. But I'm like, Lord, I really hope they respond. And I remember them sitting in the front row. I'm like, if you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want you to raise your hand. I remember this man grabbing his wife's hand and then both lifting it together. And I remember them coming forward and getting connected with our salvation team. And they, since then, they've been in church every single week. It's been a couple months. It's been incredible. Now, now, I say that all to say that that started, that creation started not in that moment. The creating process for their souls started years before. So I just came to tell some people, don't you give up on your kids. Don't you give up on your family members. Don't you, don't you give up on your siblings. Don't you give up on your city. Don't you give up on your marriage. No, God is not done yet. Don't you give up. God has more that he wants to do, and he wants us to create with our words. So start getting rowdy. When you're sitting in traffic and you're on the freeway, realize you're not just around people. You're not just next to cars, but people are in those cars. When you come to church every Sunday, come with the great sense of expectation that God wants to do something in you, and he wants to do something through somebody else. When you're at your family reunions, rather than getting frustrated because family is one of those things that you can't live without them, but you can't live with them. Walk in with God. Use me. Help me brawl somehow, some way. Let me speak and create something that is not currently there. And just maybe, I can't promise it, but maybe the fervent prayers of the righteous will avail much. And why do we do this? Because he does it. He's praying for those who don't know him. And so, that's it.